0: A number of issues to be discussed. One, uh, the delineation of powers, what that has enabled the minister to do in the last couple of weeks. Uh, There's to be spoken about uh, at least cabinet's endorsement of the energy plan that the minister is meant to be steerheading. The president reiterated what those separations of duties, I don't want to call it separation of powers, because the president was very careful. Um, in his his wording there. The separation of duties amongst the three ministers uh, that are supposed to collaborate in ending our energy crisis, that, of course, being the Minister of Energy, the Minister of Electricity, as well as the Minister of Public Enterprises. Has there been any sort of conflict in execution pertaining to who is empowered to do what. Those are some of the questions that we have top of mind. Give me a call, 86 if you want to be a part of the conversation. Minister Ramakupa is now with us. Minister, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Welcome to Night Talk.
1: Yes, good evening, Oliver, and thank you very much for the invitation and the evening to the listeners of uh, SAFM. Minister, let's start here.
0: It's been six weeks, about uh, could be more or less, uh, given an error, margin of error of what, three or so days. But it's about six weeks since you have officially been uh, given statutory powers by the president. What have you done in the last six weeks with those powers?
1: Well, the, the first point to be made is that the work started in earnest immediately after I was appointed. So I think we did understand that even before the president can apply his mind on, on how he's going to assign the uh, functions or responsibilities. I think we had agreed with the two other ministers, being Minister Kodani and Minister Mantashe, that I needed to be very active on the grounds, just to go and visit the power stations and understand the nature of the problem from a technical perspective. And that's why I post that those visits. I think it was uh, about 16 days uh, uninterrupted, just going to each and every power station in the country was able to generate a diagnostic report. And on the basis of that, went to cabinet and suggested that the idea of decommissioning some of the power stations uh, uh, along the timelines that was agreed uh, perhaps needed to be reviewed because uh, it was going to plunge us further into darkness. And cabinet agreed to that, that we need to do, there has to be a delayed decommissioning of the power stations when I was able to illustrate the kind of megawatts that can be retrieved as a result of that. The second part was to also say, as part of the diagnostic report, what are the kind of uh, capacity interventions that are required at the various power stations and also including the individual units at the power stations. Yeah, And we worked very closely with the the chair of the board. We worked very closely with the what was then the newly appointed head of generation, Mr. Begin Humano, and also the the station managers at the various power stations. What is the point I'm making? The point I'm making is that I didn't have to wait for the assignment of powers for the work to be be done. And that's why you you are beginning to see the fruits of that labor. And we toiled over that period, and that's why, we've been able to improve the energy availability factor by 12 percentage points. When I was assigned the responsibility just the first week, we were planning to stage six, if you remember. The EAF was at 48%. Now, as I speak to you, we are stabilizing at about 60%, 61%. Uh, so we've been able to do that over a period of time. But what the powers have done has now made it possible all the assignments made it possible for me to be able to apply my mind in relation to new generation capacity because the responsibilities I have is to make that determination on what is the new generation capacity to augment uh, the installed generation capacity at the at, at can, call. can can I and can I pause you on that
0: because I really do want us to dig into that and 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 the powers that you've been given is very specifically around applying your minds to new generation capacity uh, and to uh, produce some sort of recommendation in a report for the consideration of cabinet as well as the minister of energy and the execution of. Uh, receiving bids and appointing successful bidders for the new generation capacity in whatever uh, uh, in whatever technology that you prescribe it to be still b- uh, still lies within the ambit of the statutory powers of the Minister of Energy. That notwithstanding. Are you then able, at, with the information and data you have at hand right now, to give us an idea around when a, 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 a call would come out from you around new generation capacity? How much would need to be uh, generated in the next round? And I'm assuming that means that you would be lead advisor, so to speak, on on, on bid window 7 going forward. Oh,
1: well, to start with, there's an integrated resource plan. Uh, 202019. so we are not operating in a vacuum so what my responsibility is uh, is to ensure that we, we, we revisit that and then come with the, see, like a new configuration of the, of the energy mix so as we speak now what obtains is the integrated resource plan 2019 and when Minister Mandasha goes out we we'll go through window number 7 we're going to procure 5,000 megawatts of PV and solar combination of PV and solar, 1,200 megawatts of battery storage, 3,000 megawatts of uh, of gas. So all of that is uh, uh, in compliance uh, with the, uh, if you like, the energy mix as articulated into integrated resource plan. So the exercise I'm doing, which Minister Mantache has been doing, is to revise that IRP in the light of the challenges that are confronting us, but also uh, our commitment, again, to the nationally determined contributions, our decarbonization agenda, and also the attainment of the net zero path. So the point I'm making is that it doesn't have to wait for me. There's already an existing framework. So when yeah. we come out is to revise that existing framework. And if anything, I think it's likely going to be a bit more aggressive in relation to the procurement of renewables. But of course, that must be matched with the grid extension, grid uh, strengthening to ensure that we are able to accommodate the new renewable energy sources into the grid. Because part of the problem we have now is that the, the grid configuration, of course, uh, is anchored on uh, fossil fuels, the coal as the primary energy source. Its the density is in Bumananga for obvious reason because that's where the fuel source is. And the tradition is that you construct power stations at the mouth of the fuel source. Uh, and uh, and that's why a lot of industry is located in the north, out and going north. Yeah. And that's where you find 72% of the load. And the south, the western Cape, the eastern Cape and the uh, Northern Cape, uh, south of the free state, and KZN. They only account for 28% of the load because the industry is located to the north because they wanted to be closer to uh, generation. They didn't want to uh, transport the electrons over long distances because there could be technical losses. And that's why there's a concentration of the uh, industry in the north. So if you were to benefit from renewable energy sources, we know if you have to do a radiation atlas, essentially trying sure. to understand what's the best quality of the uh, irradiation is in the Northern Cape. Uh, the best wind speed, uh, you are finding it on coastal areas of the Western Cape and Eastern Cape. And there we have depleted our our uh, grid capacity. So you need to strengthen, expand that. I mean, just to put it into context, to achieve the kind of ambition we, we desire on uh, accommodating new renewables. Um um ESCOM needs to build fourteen thousand kilometers of new lines. Put that into context or uh, in the next ten years. Put that into context in the past ten years ESCOM has rolled out four thousand kilometers of new lines. So you have to do that three and a half times more bigger than what you've been doing in the past uh, ten years. Then then it represents two major problems. The first one is a uh, the financing of that grid uh, expansion. You know that the conditions played by, placed by National Treasury as uh, part of um, the $254 rand fiscal support to ESCOM were say, saying ESCOM is not allowed to borrow. Even if ESCOM were allowed to borrow, uh, its balance sheet will not be sufficient to uh, meet the financing cost. I think the preliminary uh, computation that has been done yeah. is that you need about 210 billion lines to achieve the kind of grid expansion and strengthening that is required the is that, is that 210 that,
0: billion for the entire 14,000 kilometers or is that 200 yeah, uh, yeah so yeah. that's 210 billion over, over the next 10 years
1: over the next 10 years the the computation that is going to die. let me say that it's not as robust i'm sure that when right. you do a more bus competition might arrive at a different figure is likely going to be higher yep. But at least that is indicative of what is required just, just, just
0: before you, you you go on there for fourteen thousand kilometers of new transmission line in the grid expansion plan means over the next ten years means you have to build what thousand yeah thousand two hundred thousand four hundred thousand four hundred kilometers per annum for the next ten yeah. years. Do you have a technical plan outlining when construction of that begins and what it looks like?
1: No, that's what I'm saying. Part of the issues that we need to do, of course, there's a transmission development plan, of course, it needs to be revised. Uh, you need to prioritize which areas are going to you're going to roll out the lines. But in essence, the market has uh, almost dictated uh, at least where should be the first phase of that rollout. What do I mean by that? As I speak to you, we you know as the density or concentration of renewable yeah. energy projects. So invariably, you have to start there, so that you are able to benefit from the electricity, and you are able to transport the the electrons. So the market yeah, has be. almost decided how how that where where yeah. the priority should be for now. But ideally, the state must be the state must yeah. be able to to provide, if you like, a comprehensive articulation and mapping. On where we want to see grid uh, expansion, and of course we are also moving into an era of a distributed grid, essentially catchment areas that are self-sufficient from energy generation and consumption point of view.
0: Yeah, I, so d- I just want to ask, be... Minister, isn't there perhaps a need to? deregulate any sort of great expansion that would take place that is to say you don't have to build it you can just license people to build it and you become a a tenant so to speak of their generation line or their transmission line and you open up your transmission line as is the plan uh for them to rent from you that making it a lot more cost effective you don't have to carry the burden of 210 billion rand oh okay so there's
1: a there's a there's a
0: Minister? Oh, seems like we've just lost Minister Ramakupa there. Let's see if we can try getting back on a different line. My apologies uh, for that uh, very, very important detail here. Uh, we, we Let's try to get the minister back on the line there. Then we'll try to uh, uh, have him just answer, respond to that question around whether or not government should take on the task of leading the construction of our grid expansion and not perhaps leave that to the private sector. While we wait to get the minister back on the line, let's have a listen at this WhatsApp voice note on our WhatsApp line. Yes, good evening, good evening, good evening. Yeah, it's the FM, it's It's Austin, Austin Musala from Edenville. I think we've got the best minister in the cabinet. In Mr Spooter, I'm called, um, Mr. Spooter is the best. Happens to be the best minister since he took over things. He turned things around, he turned things around, really. I vote that man for president. Spoota for president. Spoota for president. Yeah, really. Prophets of doom. It predicted that by this time. Uh, the grid would collapse, would have collapsed. But now, yeah, Mrs. Pulsar turned things around. We have Minister Ramakupa back on the line. Minister, there was just a voice note reaction from one of our listeners. But before we lost you there, you were responding mm. to my question around whether or not you really should be taking on the burden of grid expansion. It's $210 billion that the private sector, very liquid private sector, could otherwise be uh, spearheading.
2: Oh, absolutely correct. So in answering that question, essentially you are putting forward a policy position uh, or a policy choice. Yep. So in the determination on the um, what are the permutations for the financing of uh, the grid expansion, you must answer the primary question, does, is the state ready to relinquish uh, ownership of the grid? And if you go to all parts of the world or major parts of the world, is that the uh, grid uh, ownership is a national uh, um, is an issue of uh, energy sovereignty and, and also just uh, to protect uh, the state's uh, interest. But in so doing, it does not preclude the fact that you, you need to tap into the big pool of liquidity that is in the hands of the private sector and i think there are various models that we can engage
0: yeah. and
2: i must hasten to say that what i'm going to articulate is not necessarily a government position because we are taking a, we are having an internal discussion on what are those options so you are yeah, absolutely but I, but right I mean, to um, say that you you, look, you, look, you, I, you don't have, the state doesn't have to finance it. So yeah. first, I agree with you. I completely and the understand, second part, uh,
0: Minister, the normative yeah. position around uh, the grid being a state asset being directly tied to state security and its own sovereignty, especially uh, if it's about who owns it. Is it foreign capital or is it domestic capital? Yes. I completely yes. understand that. But isn't that why we have regulatory authorities?
2: Yes, but yes, I'm I'm attempting to then answer that question. So I'm just saying that there are various configurations of doing that. In the same manner that you are building the national roads like the N3, the N1. So you concession that out and you allow private sector to invest and uh, you apply a user pay principle. So you have a toll gate on the N3, the N1, and then you determine the length of the concession. is a function of the traffic profile. And the volume of the of the traffic, and in this instance, it will be a function of, uh, of course, the size of uh, of the lines, yeah. and the uh, the size of the lines, and determine the amount of uh, in electricity that can be transmitted there, and then you pay the fees for that, uh, and then the system operator, that is ESCOM, is still responsible for the entire grid, but the operational uh, requirements yeah. for maintenance, upkeep, issues of uh, ensuring that there are no system losses, they can sit with the whoever has financed it over that period and then it reverts back to the state. Yeah. Uh, you know that model of build, operate, transfer, build, uh, manage, op- you know, yeah. transfer, yeah. and all of that, so there are those multiple configurations. So I fully agree with you, but I'm simply saying that it's a policy question that we simply need to present and and once that is finalized, I'm sure I can share with you. But I'm, yeah. I'm in perfectly in sync with you that... Yeah. Uh, You need to exploit, if you like, uh, market liquidity to finance the expansion because the market is going to do two things. First is that they are going to introduce great levels of efficiency. They'll be able to build it cheaper and faster than what the state can can afford. And they're also going to make sure that the they minimize the amount of technical losses, because that's where they derive, uh, if you like, their profit margins. So there's going to be greater levels of efficiency, and they're likely going to also introduce, uh, if you like, uh, more advanced technologies, uh, which of course will will, will then remain uh, going into the future uh, legacy Mm. technologies for the state to inherit. So I'm saying that I'm with you, but you 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 have you first to you need to agree on on yeah. what that permutation is and i'm saying it's a it's a policy it's a policy question and we we are presenting engaging with the various key stakeholders internally and it's something that is receiving uh, agent attention uh, Oliver. yeah just two more things i want to explore with you minister with the little time we have left one is a
0: technical issue speaking to the status quo of the of generation as well as the plant health uh, you mentioned there that yeah. the energy availability factor has went up by 12 uh, percentage points in the last what uh, over the last six weeks. Uh, but you mentioned that the work started yeah. earlier in yeah. April um going yes, from 48 yes. to 60%. Just help me here. Uh, when you is the availab- energy availability factor a measurement of installed capacity or a measurement of demand? Because I know we have an installed capacity of 48,000 megawatts and we have a national demand of about yes. 32,000 megawatts. So that's 60% that's available. Is it 60% of 32,000 megawatts or is it 60% of 48,000 megawatts?
2: No, it's uh, of uh, of that uh, of the installed capacity of installed capacity. So that's uh, that's what we we are computing. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you remember the installed capacity. There's also what I call nominal capacity, uh, because uh, there's uh, in a power station there's some energy that you use to to provide the power needs of the power station. And you yeah. minus that from what is the installed capacity, and that's the nominal capacity. When you go to the high fell, the higher you go um, above sea levels, the lower the efficiency. So you need to account for those losses, and that is your nominal capacity. And 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 if you compute that, I think now you you come significantly lower. I think you you move uh, closer yeah. to about uh, 40, 40, 44,000 megawatts or so of, uh, of of the capacity. So I'm computing that. I'm computing that uh, 44,000 megawatts okay. when I talk about 60% EAF, Oliver.
0: Yeah. Uh, Minister, that 12% uh, improvement in the uh, energy availability factor, how much of it is as a result of increased and improved plant health? And how much of it is as a result of increased usage of diesel?
2: Oh remember when I talk about install capacity I already include the open cycle gas turbines which is the 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 diesel so in the totality of what is installed I'm also including in that calculation the megawatts that I'm drawing from the from the open cycle gas turbines which is your diesel so I've already included. I'm yeah. accounting for it in that. And so then um, there's are a on average. So, so last that's six what.
0: Weeks, so over the over the last six weeks, are we on average burning more diesel than we do coal? Comparatively, of course.
2: No, it's a it's a dicey question to ask because I mean I mean if you come to to think of it, uh, coal is still a significant proportion. I think uh, only about uh, t- just less than ten percent of that. Uh, about 7% or so comes from the open cycle gas turbine. And the rest of it uh, really comes from, from coal. And really when I'm talking about the improvement in the EAF, it's largely on the performance of your thermal plants. Your coal-fired power station. Okay. Really, that's what I'm. I'm computing because the open-cycle gas turbine. You ramp them up. Uh, they they'll operate at greater levels of efficiency, and they are not on load all the time. Yeah. So you engage them as and when you need them, and we typically engage them uh, during uh, during the peak. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason, uh, you know, I was explaining to someone part of the reason why you have seen that we've we're moving for a very considerable period, considerable is relative, but in the context of the crisis that we've been, that's confronting us is considerable over about 21 days. We're moving from uh, 14 hours of the day, stage zero or stage one, then ramp up to stage three. So, and then now, as I speak to you, you have seen we're now moving between four and five. What is the reason? First is that, the generation has stabilized so the best measure of the performance and the health of the plant is whether you are maintaining that EAF uh, because that's what is in your control. Yeah. So that we're maintaining as I speak to you but last night um, we experienced the highest surge in demand uh, which uh, approximate the worst case scenario that we had computed when we did the winter outlook. So last night we hit a uh, demand of 33,900 megawatts. And if you remember when I shared with the country, the worst case scenario that we had generated uh, from a demand side was 34,000 megawatts. So we hit the worst case scenario. So as a result of that, we engage extensively your, your open cycle gas type, and so yeah. you're burning diesel, burning diesel, so that we are able to not to go beyond higher stages of load sharing, and then also permit the pump storage. So we have depleted those. Now we must replenish them. Remember, um, our major open cycle gas turbine, we are not piping the um, the diesel there. We bring it by trucks. So it was not uh, available. So you need to replenish that. So as you replenish, so it means that there's additional megawatts that are out and therefore you must compensate for that. How do you compensate for that? You use this instrument called load shading, and that's why as I speak to you at stage six, so we'll replenish, replenish, yeah. and I'm sure that you'll see by Friday, we'll go back to that permutation. And of course, we, we do also project that demand will will go down. So yeah. it, it's, it's those technical issues, but the best measure for me, of course, load shading is terrible. Whether it's stage one or stage three or stage six, of course, the higher stage is uh, the more acute the problem. Yeah. But the measurement for me, how you you see the health of this, am I improving the EAF, stabilizing and and gradually improving it going forward? Yeah, because that's what I have control over, and that's what we are measuring. Yes.
0: Yeah, Minister, uh, the in the last quarter, how much um, yes. maintenance has been done compared to the three quarters preceding?
2: Okay, let me. So what I'm doing now. Can you hear me? Oliver? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, I'm sorry my brother. So what I'm doing now I I I, I desist from measuring quarter to quarter because uh, the fragility of the situation requires that we measure that from week to week. Um so so that's what we 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 are measuring uh from week to uh, to week. And and we have found that uh, there's a gradual improvement. In the, in the energy availability factor. So, I mean, just to give you a, a context, um, in late April, early May, we're sitting at uh, 25,000 megawatts of available capacity. Now, as I speak to you, I mean, the last week, so if you average the whole week of last week, we, we averaged about 28,700 megawatts. So we're able to add about 3,000 700 megawatts uh, of uh, additional capacity and then we are beginning to see also that gradual improvement. Yeah. So for me the the that's the that's the measurement that I'm seeing. So as we move from one week to the I, other are we you able to asked, maintain the tempo. I've, yeah.
0: I've, I've asked that question because uh before you came around and of course the previous uh executive leadership uh, of 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 ESCOM, and I make that very specifically clear that it was the executive leadership was Increasingly criticized for not performing enough plant maintenance, um, uh, that part, the, the maintenance that was carried out for the most part was as a result of unplanned breakdowns. There was never uh, there was never yes. enough plants taken off the grid for maintenance for planned maintenance. Okay. So so, so talk to mm-hmm. me about that in the last couple of weeks.
2: Yeah. So let me explain to you. So when we entered the winter. Uh, as part of minimizing the levels of load shedding, we said that we are going to keep uh, the planned maintenance. So, this is voluntary maintenance, philosophy maintenance. We're going to keep that to about 2,500 megawatts. Uh, and that's yeah. when we entered the winter. So, when I say entering winter, at uh, the uh, just uh, the third week of May. Now, we've been able to ramp it up. We have ramped it up in the past uh, week we ramped it up to 4,500 megawatts. So we added another 2,000 megawatts on plane maintenance. And then you are not seeing the acute uh, levels or the intensification of load shedding. Why was that possible? That is possible because you have created room on your generation side, the health, the improved health of uh, your units. It's creating additional room for you to take out the units Without the the average consumer, you and I seeing that in the intensification of load shedding, we're still able to k- keep the uh, permutation of zero and three in the evening peak, but we we had ramped up uh, we had ramped up maintenance, yeah. so it gave yeah. us a breathing space. Otherwise, we could buy uh, the elimination of load shedding. What do I mean by that? We could skip to that 2,500 plan maintenance, or even reduce it. And then you would have seen those periods where we're giving zero to three, I would have come out and said, there's no load shedding, but that's an expedient measure because it's going to intervention, because it's going to catch up with you later when these units collapse. So we said that as and when there's a room that is created, you do this opportunity and planned maintenance, take the units out, fix them and get them going. As I speak to you now, you will say, but put our at stage six. Yes, some of them we have taken out the units, we are fixing them. Eh? So, so, and so,
0: so the stage six we experienced today is not because of unplanned breakdowns. It's because you took units off very specifically to perform maintenance.
2: No, 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 no. It's a, I just explained it later. Is that a surge that we experienced right. yesterday, and then we burned the diesel, we exhausted the uh, the resource there, so we must replenish uh, Yeah. Uh, the storage capacity, we must uh, make sure that we pump the water up, you know, you know uh, pump storage and yeah. um, how it works, so we are pumping the water up, as we pump it up, you are consuming a lot of uh, energy. Sure. Because yeah. you need, because it's against gravity, and then that's what we did to meet the surge of yesterday, and that's why. So yeah. we are, we have a, it's a self-induced demand from pump storage point of view, and then we have taken out the capacity of the open cycle gas turbines because we have burned a lot of diesel, yeah. and then you need to replenish that. So that capacity is not available to you now, and that's okay. why you replenish it, and then you come back, and then we are able to restore. Uh, if you like, significantly lower stages of load shedding. And of course, as we go through this a uh, uh, very cold weather, demand will also attenuate. Uh, how many days are and we talking about here that...
0: for that stabilization to take place?
2: No, I see. we'll start to see it uh, over the weekend. Okay. Saturday, okay. Sunday, you'll start seeing it, yeah.
0: And just a last question on the energy availability factor. Uh, it's uh, at 60 yes. right now. You say stabilizing at 61%. We're yes. in the middle of July. Um, what is your projection of the en- energy availability factor December and December 2023?
2: So what's going to happen? So first is that I'm I I still uh, co- I'm still confident that the team led by Bistang Rumalo will continue to improve that energy availability effect just to put it into context to you because the percentage might not make sense a lot one percentage point improvement amounts to about 477 megawatts Uh, so when we go into in october we are going to fire unit 5 at kusili and that's packs about uh, the 700 to 800 megawatts so that's and then uh, and then yeah, and then we we bring um, another unit one. Go co- in Kusile, one of the three units that went out simultaneously as a result of the flue gas desulfurization yeah. It's coming back twenty uh, eighth of November. And then uh, around the bit uh, December we bring unit three, and then uh, we bring unit two, 24th of December. So in Kusile alone, one, two, three, and five, uh, eight. Each pack, so you're getting 3,200 megawatts. If you use that science of mine, so essentially you are at about seven and a half percentage points addition to where we are now. And then uh, let's go to, uh, and then in megawatts terms, now you are close to about 32,000 or so, 33,000 megawatts. And then we know that uh, at the peak of uh, demand during summer, I think we reach about twenty-eight thousand megawatts. So you can see that you've got a play of about four thousand megawatts. Even if the units go out, yeah. you are likely not going to see a load shading. Yeah, but that, remember that, that the certainly... resilience, the resilience of the system, you don't manage is that let's not measure it by the summer demand. Let's measure it by the winter demand. Yeah. So we must get to a stage where we know that the historic peak is about 34,000 megawatts. Yeah, I must come to you and say, wh- when I say load shedding is gone, I'll be confident that we are thirty-five, thirty-six thousand 36,000 because we still need that buffer yeah, if that, the units that, fails. If you know 4, what 000, I'm saying. Yeah, the yes, 4,000 surplus that's, would, be, uh, would yes, be very much yes, yes. welcome. And just yeah. a final question as so, we
0: wrap this off, Minister. You, you notoriously stick to the minutiae of ESCOM. Uh, and the plant and and, and its, its technical performance. And that's very much a relief to a lot of people. And it's necessary. But speaking to you feels a lot like I'm speaking to what should be Eskom's CEO. The company still has an acting CEO, uh, the CFO, meaning it doesn't have a CEO, the, the board's still trying to appoint a CEO, and the COO is leaving pretty soon, uh, albeit there was somewhat of an, a concession to the extension his stay to complete certain elements uh, that need completion at, at, at ESCOM. There still is an executive leadership vacuum at ESCOM. Uh, where does that, what role do you play in, 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 in attracting the right talent to fill up that particular vacuum?
2: Well, the first part is, uh, Minister Godan is the one who runs that process uh, in terms of uh, the shareholder representative. Um, So I will not enter that domain, is the one who is spearheading that. I'll engage with that report when it comes to cabinet, and as and when Minister Godan finds it appropriate to engage with me to uh, solicit my views, because I've been very close to on the technical side. And then my view also is that, uh, of course, you're absolutely correct. I think you might raise a governance issue. You might raise a governance issue and say, the executive authority is talking this language of ESCOM going to power stations. Why can't you separate uh, uh, the issues of the executive authority and executive management? I'm of the opinion that I've been appointed to get the lights on. I'm going to do everything to get the lights on without undermining the colleagues at ESCOM who are working together and uh, um, uh, the relationship I have with the chair of the board with the uh, executive including the acting CEO and in particular the head of generation generation is exceptionally healthy. I will do everything to get the lights on and Uh, save the South African economy. But yes to your point I think that they will be shared with you at the right point at the right time. I know that the the process is uh, quite advanced Uh, And I think they were at the stage of even having identified, done a short list and even interviews. But that's not my domain. I I will not uh, uh, get into that space. I've, I've, uh, I've been assigned to get the lights on and I'll work with ESCOM and all the players to ensure that the lights are on.
0: Yeah. I, look, so many more questions I do want to ask you. I know that the South African Electricity Distribution Company has already been incorporated as a subsidiary of yes. ESCOM. I wanted to speak to you about that, yes. but we've unfortunately run out of time. So many other details here. No, but just so lastly, much. Minister, do you feel like a minister or a CEO at ESCOM? It's a safe space. You can give me an honest answer.
2: Oh, no, I just feel like uh, an honest South African who... <laughs> who's got the ex- executive authority yeah. responsibility no I'm for real <laughs> I enjoy the response yeah. and then I happen to be an engineer okay so I when I sit with the escom engineers i we talk the same language I understand what they say the complexities of uh, the language I have a great affinity for for numbers so um you 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 can't put the wool yeah. uh, over my eyes but the the, the I must say that the, uh, it's a team of genuine, honest professionals, very patriotic. They really are invested in resolving this problem, uh, including the board yeah. of uh, exceptionally talented men and women, led by Mr. Makwana. They've taken a great risk of uh, putting their yeah. uh, the, uh, their c- careers on the line because, uh, uh, I mean, ESCOM is notorious for... Yeah destroy people's careers. But all that they wanted to do is to help the country. And I want to say to the South African public, we're going through, I did say, we'll have a very difficult winter. We're carrying through. We're not seeing the worst case, and I'm, I'm saying to them that even if, when you see stage six, we have this under under control. And I know that they they'll be very dismissive. I don't have lights. I came to work, uh, wake up, woke up in the morning. There were when there were no lights. I'm back home. There were no lights. We're working at it, and I've given you the numbers. I'll keep on sharing with the South African yeah. public on where we are, and very honest and transparent. We will resolve load shedding. I'm more yeah. than confident.
0: Yeah, it's reassuring that you're comfortable with the lexicon of the technocrats at ESCOM. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I really, really do appreciate it, Minister Makopa. We're going to take a quick break on the other side of that.